everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk. And I'd like to welcome you to this Bible study. Uh, As you guys know, we come together to uh, study and read the Word of God so that we can live more overcoming lives and practically apply that Word in our lives and, of course, fulfill our purpose uh, in the Lord. So today we are going to have a very powerful study that I think you need. Um, I believe that you really need this. I believe that we all really need this because I think we need to start seeing our walk with the Lord, um, not just in the manner of being a walk of love, um, but I also want us to understand there is another aspect to love. When you love something, when you love someone, you fight for them, right? When you love someone, you fight for them. You fight for your relationship. You fight for uh, the kindness. You fight for uh, the joy. You fight for the peace between you both. You fight for it. And that fight doesn't always mean fighting each other. It means fighting that which would come up against that love, that bond, that kindness, that friendship, that covenant, that marriage, that uh, partnership. And so I want to bring us to a very, very important study. And we're going to do this and look at this study by reading a story. So I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible. And so what we're going to do is go to 2 Chronicles. Now I know we don't read much in Chronicles, but I want you to read in 2 Chronicles. We're going to go to chapter 13. There's some pretty cool stories in the Old Testament. And if you like, you know, reading as much as I do, and you like stories and movies, then the Old Testament will keep you full of excitement. So let's go ahead to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13. Go ahead and get your Bible. I'm going to read our anchor text while you're getting to chapter uh, 13, and then we'll go ahead and read the story. So our anchor text today is Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? And this is, I want you to sort of frame this. I want us to sort of set the scene by reading this particular scripture to understand. This is a question. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel, to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? So let's go ahead and read this really amazing story so that we can pull out some really powerful pieces that's going to help us to not only love stronger and know our place in Christ, is going to teach us how to fight for what we love. So let's get started and read this great story. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah, and there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men, 
Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men being mighty men of valor. And Abijah stood up on Mount Zemaram, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, you Jeroboam and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and has rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered to him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David? and you be a great multitude? And there are with your golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for gods? Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands? So that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait on their business. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense, the showbread. Also they put in order on the pure table and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening, for we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us, for our captain and his priests, with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel, fight you not against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. the part there that we are actually seeing Abijah who is of the line of David he's actually setting an attack against this um, Jeroboam who has taken over and become sort of like the de facto king of Israel and remember David was royalty and so this is to say that everyone who comes from the descendants of David uh, is a king Emmanuel was from the seed of David and we as the church are his bride so we are royalty so when you see um, you know Abijah making these very strong statements to Jeroboam he's speaking because of his royal bloodline and it's important for us to understand as believers and we who believe that we are now a part of that bloodline because of Christ if you can remember the lineage of David God promised that David will have in his lineage um, Emmanuel the Christ so we're really looking at a fulfillment of scripture so the Bible calls us heirs of promise brothers and sisters of the household of faith therefore we are conferred a kingdom 
The importance of the marriage similarities in the kingdom of God is that when a woman marries a royal man or vice versa, she becomes royalty too. So think of Esther. The covenant that we make with God through the shed blood of his Christ allows us to actually join the family. So then we start to learn the royal ways. So in the old days, when two tribes or kingdoms fought, they often married each other's prince and princesses to create kinship. And God has done this to us. So our kinship was in the flesh through Christ via Mary, and then also through the spirit and the water through that rebirth. So we see that when you have Abijah and he's talking to Jeroboam, he's talking about the fact that this man is not part of the royalty. And we as believers are now, we remember what it says, we are a royal priesthood in holy nation. And why is that? Why is it we are both royal and holy? That's the two things that God are, that God is, and it's the two things that we have become. As heirs of promise, we become heirs to the royalty of David. And as heirs of promise through faith, we are heirs of that holiness through the belief, through faith. So let's go ahead and continue and and really look at what we've read so far, because we have two men sort of squaring up against each other. And I want to point out that it was Abijah that actually set the battle against Jeroboam and not vice versa. So here we have a situation in which uh, the person who is righteous is on the attack. Um, So let's go ahead and read to um, 2 Chronicles. chapter 13 verse 6 it says yet jeroboam the son of nabat the servant of solomon the son of david is risen up and has rebelled against the lord and there are gathered to him vain men the children of belial and have strengthened themselves against rehoboam the son of solomon when rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them and now you think to withstand the kingdom of the lord So we're looking at something here. He starts to talk about all of the things that Jeroboam has done as he has kind of sort of destroyed um, what was put in place by David and by his son Solomon. Um, This idea of following the priesthood and the Levites and, and consecrating oneself. So Jeroboam is now practicing idolatry. He makes any man a priest. And and I want to point this out. This is very key when we talk about Hebrews, is that only Levites were charged with the work of the house of God. And it made absolutely no sense for others to do it. So you couldn't just appoint any kind of man to be a priest in the house of God, you know, and you had to be a part of the Levitical lineage in order to do that. So this was something that's been practiced for a long time. And now we have Jeroboam just doing anything. And you can see that here in second Chronicles chapter 13, verse nine, it says, have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same can be a priest of them that are no gods. So essentially, he's got this priesthood going on that's kind of a de facto priesthood. So there's a de facto kingdom going on, and there's a de facto priesthood that's going on. We have a Bija that has decided, you know what? 
I'm going up against you. I'm going to take you down. It's just like the way David came up against Goliath and said, I'm going to take you down. You know, you come to me in the name of, you know, your gods, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of Israel. So we're seeing, you know, the good guy is on the attack. So we have to understand the importance that Abijah is making really strong charges against Jeroboam for Hebrews, for any man who is not a Levite to become a priest is wickedness. And every Hebrew priest is to be a Levite in the Bible and in the lineage. And that is a principle. So we're really looking at this in a very clear lens now. You know, he's hearkening back not only to David, but also the order in which God has set things up in terms of the priesthood and in terms of Levites. And then he does something really interesting. He says, he starts saying something really interesting. So first he's sort of charging Jeroboam with all of these, you know, indiscretions and all of these different sins against the order that God has set forth in the priesthood. And, and of course, the, the uh, royalty that he has set out in the, in the lineage of Judah. But he says something really curious. If we look now in Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 10, he says, but as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait on their business. So he talks about all the ways he has restored pure worship before God. He has kept the priesthood, and he serves God. If we look down to Second Chronicles chapter 13, And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priests with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel. Fight you not against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. These are some powerful words that um, Abijah is saying. Abijah has set the battle against Jeroboam with 400,000 men. So we're really looking at a powerful situation here where we're seeing a confrontation. So let's go ahead and read what else happens in this story so that we can find out what God is showing us through this story of bringing back Israel. So we're going to continue reading um, 2 Chronicles chapter 13. We're going to read from 13. But I'd like to point out also that while Abijah has 400,000 men, Jeroboam has only, uh, Jeroboam has 800,000 men. So let's continue at verse 13. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to come about behind them. So they were both before Judah and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried to the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter. So there fell down slain of Israel five hundred thousand chosen men. 
Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. As we can see from reading that scripture, and we're only going to read down to verse 19 there, but as we see from reading that scripture that um, the Lord gave Abijah the victory, but I want to point some things out about that. This isn't just a typical story. This is a story that's teaching us something about what it means to be in right standing with God and what we can expect from God and call from God because of that right standing and what God will do to protect his name and his lineage. So when we think about Abijah setting the battle against Jeroboam, he had only 400,000 men, but Jeroboam had 800,000. That's nearly a million men. So he was obviously outmanned and outgunned by Jeroboam. Let's just be clear about that. And not only that, I'm going to show you something else. In 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 13, it says, But Jeroboam caused an ambush to come about behind them, so that they were before Judah, and the ambush was behind them. So even with all of that courage to face an army that was twice the size of his own, it appears that not only was he outgunned and outmanned, he was also outwitted. He was also outsmarted. His enemy's strategy was better than his. So here we have Abijah. I mean, this isn't funny, but in a way it is because we have Abijah coming out to defend, you know, uh, God's order of the priesthood, his order of the kingdom being in the line of Judah. He comes out here with 400,000 men even though his opponent has twice that amount. He comes out and he says he's going to set this battle in array. He's, he's courageous. He's full of faith. But you know what? He really is outmanned and he really is outgunned. But on top of that, they set an ambush against the poor guy. That means he's also, I don't know, outsmarted. Yeah, he's outsmarted. So what happens next? We have a man who had all this faith, but not only was he outgunned and outmanned, he was outsmarted. So let's go ahead and look and see what Abijah did after it turned out that he was outgunned and outmanned and outsmarted. It says, and when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried to the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. So basically, they cried out to God, and God decimated Jeroboam's army. It doesn't say specifically what it is that he did, but it does say that God smote him and basically decimated this army that was twice the size of Abijah's army. Not only were they twice the size, they were twice as smart. So you see, it's vain to rise up early and stay up late to try and outwit people and figure things out. I'm not saying not use your wisdom. I am 100% proponent of using wisdom and the precepts of God. I think we must lean on them as believers and we must do that more and more. 
But it is also important to understand that God's always got your back. And this is a great example of that. This man had nothing but faith. (laughs) And he went out there with less men, less arms, not even enough sense, (laughs) to be quite honest. He runs out there into an ambush. But do you know what he had that Jeroboam didn't have? Think about that. In this story, we don't see the details on how Abijah's army suited up for battle with Jeroboam. Instead, we see them preparing themselves by getting themselves right in the service of God. They were preparing to take back ground, but they did it by getting right in the service of God. As a royal priesthood and a holy nation, we too do the same thing, except we do it in the spirit. If you can remember how in old movies where, you know, those Mr. T movies and those Rocky movies or those movies where the hero is seen preparing for a big fight or the big confrontation. So he's putting on his tough gear and he's working out real hard and he's grunting and running and jumping and picking up heavy things. Well, we're to do the same thing, but we do it in the spiritual realm. How we, how we learn and, and our means of becoming a lean, mean killing machine are actually done in the spirit, to be quite frank. You know, when the seven sons of Sceva, if you can remember that story, you know, tried to cast out demons, you know, these demons jumped on them and beat them silly, saying, we don't know who you people are, but we do know Paul. And I want to show you something about being someone who is growing in the faith and really becoming, you know, adept in the faith and skillful in the faith, uh, in the spirit. So let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 13, and we're going to read until verse 15. It says, then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took on them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So Paul told us that we were in a fight. So that means Paul had a name. He had a name as a strong and wily fighter. And that is a fighter in the spirit. And I want to call you to become the Rocky, a Rocky in your spirit, a Mr. T, a, uh, a, a Black Panther, a Superman, a Marvel character in the spirit. That is what I want you to see that that God is calling us to. Is he calling you to be a Marvel character? I don't know, but he's calling you to identify your gifts and to identify the things and the purpose that you have. Just like we see in a lot of those stories, those superhero stories where people are discovering their special powers. God needs us to discover ourselves in him so that we can be effective in the kingdom. Remember, Paul told us that we were in a fight, the fight of faith. And by that same token, we are soldiers and men of war. Remember he said that? Hence, generals, lieutenants, and foot soldiers. He told us to put on the whole armor of God. 
Just as there are generals and strong men in the physical armies of God, of old, God has generals and strong men in the kingdom of heaven, along with heavenly hosts. Like any experienced soldier, you get better and more skillful with every battle. We learn and teach others how to fight, the fight of faith. We overcome by our testimony. It's really important to see in this story of a battle between Abijah and Jeroboam that this is an attack on darkness. The light attacks the darkness and not vice versa. And I think we forget that. We're so busy as believers saying the devil made me do it and running from things and scared of people who, you know, are doing a little witchcraft or we're afraid of saying this or the zodiac or that means nothing. Do you know the power that you have in Christ? That is power. And so it's really important to understand that as believers, The critical work of the kingdom is being done by all of us. There is not a special sect or group that is commissioned for the work of equipping the saints and spreading the gospel. There is no special group. It's just us, folks. It's just us. Some believers out there have incredibly powerful gifts, insight, and wisdom. These are generals. Sometimes we call them bishops. Sometimes we call them elders. Sometimes we call them teachers or we call them apostles, but they are all a part of the work. And so some believers out there that have all of these things are working in those gifts. And it is part of us. It is part of our work that we mature believers so that they can grow into the fierce representatives of Christ, the soldiers for Christ that we need. The believer's arsenal has more in it. It has the unseen power of faith to pull out anything necessary to win any fight that he or she gets in. But you need faith and you need love because faith works through love and you need actions to do it because faith without works is dead. But in reality, we fight against, in reality, you know, a fight against a believer is always unfair. It really is. Just like that fight of Abijah against Jeroboam. It's unfair because you can always pull out anything that you need to defeat the enemy because of faith. And that's exactly what happened with Abijah. He set his heart and his the kingdom right before God. And then he went out and that is how he won the battle. He didn't win it with more men. He didn't win it with more intellect. He didn't win it with more weapons. He didn't win it with a better strategy. He won because he was right with God and he believed and he used that faith to pull the power of victory out of that which seemed like it would be defeat. I know right now, (laughs) wherever Jeroboam is, that's a story to tell. He's thinking back, wow, I don't even know what happened. It was 400,000 men and I had twice that amount. I had set everybody in ambush and I still lost. That's what I want you to understand as a believer. You have this amazing access to power, this amazing access to pull things from the unseen, but you have to start understanding how to do that. Understanding what it means to activate your faith. We have to really get down into the word of God so that we can be able to activate those things and walk in it. Remember, 
we are in God's army and we fight for what we love. If you love something, you fight for it. That's why God fights for us. That's why God fought for Abijah. So maybe you're the Abijah in the story, in your story. Maybe you're outgunned and you're outmanned and you don't know what to do. And you thought you had a good plan, but it turns out your opponent actually has you hemmed in in the front and in the back. It doesn't matter. Make sure you have everything right with God. Get right with God. And then when something like that happens, you cry out to God and he will come. So I hope this has been instructive for you as a believer. I hope you'll take the time to read in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1 until verse 19. Read in Acts uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 13 to 15. And really understand what the Lord is saying in your life. We're not supposed to be weak and fearful. We're not supposed to be weak and fearful because even if we are outgunned, even if we're small, even if we don't have all that we need, it doesn't mean we still can't win. It doesn't mean that we still can't get the victory because after all, the battle is the Lord's. God bless you. Bye.